And so, over the next couple of weeks, we're starting a new series, and this has been in my heart for a little while. It's going to be a little different for me because I'm more of a preacher than I am a teacher, and uh, I try to do both, but I lean more towards preaching. And uh, But over the next couple of weeks, and actually specifically the next four weeks, we're going to be in the book of Colossians. And, uh, and so, what we're going to be doing, I'm just going to be kind of walking through some of the book. It's four short chapters. And so, here's what I would encourage you to do over these next few weeks is to read the book of Colossians every week. And so it's four chapters. I would actually encourage you to read the same chapter for seven days. So like this week, read, like we're going to be discussing chapter one today and uh, really primarily two verses out of, out of uh, chapter one. But I would encourage you to read the same chapter every day. It'll take you about two or three minutes, maybe four. But I would encourage you to pray before you read the scriptures and ask the Holy Spirit to give you wisdom and insight um, into these scriptures. And, and I know you may wonder like, well, why are we picking Colossians? And uh, let me just tell you here a while back, a couple months ago now, I was doing my, just my daily reading through scriptures and I got to Colossians and I just couldn't stop reading the I just read through the whole book. It was, I mean, it's not like it's that big a deal. It's four chapters. Probably took 20 minutes. And, uh, but there was just something in it that just kind of captured my heart. And, uh, and so I have a list of, of things that I feel like the Lord, uh, puts on my radar, if you will. And, um, and so as I've been praying and just, you know, timing different things, I just felt like now was the right time for us to step into this. And so, uh, I would encourage you though, th- this next couple of weeks is more than likely going to be a little bit more content heavy. And uh, you're like, what does that mean? Scripture heavy? And uh, because, as I said, I'm attempting to teach with a little bit of preach. Usually it's more preach and some teach. Um, but I, but you say, well, what's the difference? One of them gives you what to do and one of them inspires you to go do it. The teaching is the, here's what to do. But how many of you know that you can, you can know a lot of stuff but be, have zero inspiration to go do it? Right? How many of you know you should go do something at the gym? How many of you lack the sufficiency to go to the gym? That would be me, right? And so we know what we should do. And so my goal through this, though, is to actually walk through some things. And there's actually a lot of parallels uh, in this passage, really, in these couple of chapters. And uh, and so Paul is actually writing, the Apostle Paul, whether he penned it himself or had someone write it as, or dictated it as he talked is up for debate, but he's talking to a group of believers that he had actually never met. This was probably part of his, what was called his missionary journeys to an area called Asia Minor. Um, the Colossian people lived in what is today modern Turkey. And, uh, and so, but he had ever, never actually been there. It's about a hundred miles from Ephesus, which is where we get the book of Ephesians. They're kind of called twin books. Um, Colossians is also considered to be one of the epistles. Uh, if you're familiar with, with biblical terminology, you're like, what is that? It means it's a letter. It's a letter to the church. It's a letter to believers. And so many times Paul is writing, uh, to churches. And so you can tell which one are the epistles because he says, Hey, I'm writing to the church at Ephesus, Colossae, you know, the Corinthian church, wherever it may be. And, uh, and so these are letters to the churches. And so Paul, even though he's never been there necessarily uh, in person, uh, he still has a great heart because it's really the fruit of his work because he had gone and then people took the message that he preached and then just kind of took it out even further than just the cities that he had gone. And so that's the people here. And really, he's writing this a letter, and it's really in a response to some things that he had heard. 
about them. And so he commends them. He opens chapter 1 commending them. We're going to look at a couple of these verses. But then he has to also help uh, kind of create or, or correct some some belief and some doctrine in some things because... What was happening is that there was various false beliefs, doctrines, disciplines, and com- and really some complexities that they had brought into the gospel that weren't biblical. And, and so culturally, there were some things that had been added to what the gospel was. In other words, we can say it this way. There were some additions to the Bible. How many of you know that we have a lot of additions to our Bible today? And so there are some parallels between where we are today and the situation and circumstance in which Paul is writing to here. And so really what he's doing is he's, he's writing this letter to establish a baseline and to provide some clarity for them so that they could be confident and they would have a pure faith because there was all these other things going on. And so it was really like I'll give you an example of one of the things that I'm talking about is that and we'll talk more specifics about this in a moment and give you some clarity on it. But there was a teaching that, hey, Jesus is a good starting line. But there, you could actually grow a lot by adding some stuff to Jesus. Now, whether you realize it or not, that's in our culture. Hey, Jesus will help you be a good person, but we've got this and this and we can add this and we can add that. Well, the problem is that doesn't hold up against Scripture. And just because it's somebody's opinion doesn't make it true. And just because it sounds true and may even sound good doesn't mean that it's actually right. That's why we need to know the word of God. Why? Because it is truth and in truth produces life. It produces health. It, pro- it produces all kinds of good things. But what happens when, you know, like, I'll just give you an example. Look, can I take a little freedom here? If I was going to make some brownies, how many of you like brownies? cookies, whatever, cake. What if I just went and found a little piece of feces and dropped it in there? And you're like, oh my gosh, yeah. What if I cut it up? And I'm like, look, there's just a little piece in there. How many of you are not going to eat those brownies? Why? Because a little bit contaminates the whole thing. Well, how many of you know a little bit of compromise contaminates our faith? And why you say, well, why does that matter? Because it weakens our faith. And this is what Paul is trying to communicate. And so my goal in this over these next couple of weeks is that our view of Christ would actually expand, would actually become enlarged. And so that we would be impressed to where we would, and we'll see this over the, the next couple of weeks, is that Paul is attempting to say, hey, don't just look at the natural world that you see in front of you. Remember that there is a heaven Remember that there is a creator. Remember that there is a Lord. That after all this has gone away, it's not the end. And so he's trying to get them and trying to help them to remember that there really is reality after this life. And that is the goal. And so, uh, you know, as we're studying this, as we're looking through this, uh, I want you to kind of keep this in mind is that the Apostle Paul, I love the tone in which he writes this letter because it has a very fatherly feel to it. Even though he may not have met them personally face to face, he knew their teachers, he knew a lot about them. And, and so and he had heard about, he, they really had a good reputation actually. And uh, But he has a very kind of this, I mean at this point Paul is an elder statesman of the church. He's an apostle, all these, and he has this very fatherly tone. And so I, I just got, want you to kind of keep that in mind. Is It's like... 
Paul the, the apostle is talking to new believer, newer believers, if you will. And so he picks up here. I'm just going to pick up in verse 4. Um, I just wanted to highlight this because I just, I like it. How about that? And I just like that he, um, the way that he kind of commends them. And so he picks up in verse 4 and he says, For we have heard of your faith in Jesus Christ and your love for all of God's people. How many of you know that when you put your faith in Jesus and the more faith that you put in him, the more you're going to love his people? The more that means you're going to love what he loves. The closer that we walk to the Lord, the, the more important the things that are important to him become important to me. And so that's one of the ways that I can tell and engage where I'm at in my relationship with the Lord. How close am I connected to him? How is my love towards his people? And it's always kind of something that helps me gauge where I'm at. And he, so he goes on, he says, so you have faith in Jesus Christ and your love for all of God's people. And it says, which come from your confident hope of what God has reserved for you in heaven. It says you have this expect or you've had this expectation ever since you first heard the truth of the good news. And so Paul is commending them. And let me say it another way is he says, Hey guys, your reputation precedes you. I know I've not met you yet. But let me tell you what I do know about you. I know that you're a people of faith, that you're a people of love, that you have a confident expectation of the gospel that you've heard. And because of that, it actually has affected the way that you do life. And he commends them in this. And so he's kind of giving them an attaboy, you know, like, hey, I'm proud of you. You know, and so we see this. And so he goes on, though, and I'm going to drop down. I'm really going to spend the majority of my time this morning. Uh, in verse 9 and verse 10. I really want to speak to what he's talking about. I actually thought that I was going to spend the majority of my time on verse 15, but it's just not the way it worked. And, uh, and so as I was praying and studying and just reading through this, um, and just kind of saying, okay, Lord, what direction am I to go in this? These I just really came more and more and more onto these two verses. And uh, let me say this, in the next four weeks, I will by no means exhaustively teach on chapter 1, chapter 2, chapter 3, and chapter 4. I will teach on three or four verses. Because you want to go to lunch today, right? And uh, so there's no way that I'm going to be able to preach through all of that. But I believe that there are some things that the Lord will highlight. And not just in the services on the weekends. I believe if you'll actually apply your the scriptures to your daily life. And you'll meditate on them. Asking the Holy Spirit to open up your eyes to see the truth that is hidden in these scriptures. I believe that it can actually impact your day-to-day life. And so it's not just here on the weekends. But I believe I'm just trying to supplement what you're going to to be reading and uh, and so Paul picks up here in verse 9 in which he would do a lot of times uh, throughout the epistles is he would pray uh, he would pray over the people and so uh, and a lot of times he doesn't say you know like dear Jesus here's my prayer for them but he just writes it but it's actually a prayer and he'll say many times like he does here uh, in verse 9 he says we have not stopped praying for you since you first or since we first heard about you he says we ask God to give you complete Knowledge. Now that's important and I'll tell you why here in a minute that we recognize that he says complete. That he didn't just say, hey, I'm praying that God gives you knowledge or understanding. He says, I want you to have a complete knowledge. And there's actually two different words. We'll look at these in a few moments. That he's really, and they knew exactly, and the reason that I have to expound on it is because we don't know their language. They understood the language and so they knew, you know, it's kind of like, you know, uh, we use the word love for all kinds of stuff. I love Dr. Pepper and I love my wife. How many of you know those are not the same things? They sure better not be. 
Why? Because we have one word, well, in the language of the Bible, it's four different words. I mean, you know, I love my football team and I love my kids. Those should be different. I love my friends. I love different things. But there's different layers of that. Well, the same thing is true here. And so Paul says that he was praying and asking, he says, I want the Lord to give you complete knowledge of his will and to give you spiritual wisdom. He didn't just say wisdom, understanding, intellect. He didn't say that. He says, I want you to have spiritual wisdom and understanding. And see, and this is, I believe, where many times is that we actually get it backwards. Is that we think, and I'll show you this in just a moment. We think that if I get all of my stuff right, then something will happen. But yet here he says, you need to get understanding and then you can work on yourself. And so we could very likely be trying to fix things in ourselves, in our own strength, in our own ability, trying to work things out, not realizing that we're actually kind of fighting uphill when Jesus has already flattened the hill for us and just said, hey, you can come walk this way. And he, so he says here is that what you need to you need to see something new if you want to say it that way. He says then the way you uh, live will always honor and please the Lord, and your lives will produce every kind of good fruit. All the while you will grow as you learn to know God better and better. So this speaks of several things, but number one is that none of us have all of the understanding or the revelation of who God is or what he wants to do in our lives. But the good news is, is we don't have to wait to come to some great understanding or knowledge to experience God now. And this is what Paul is talking about. He's urging them. He says that all the while, even as you grow, aren't you thankful that God doesn't wait for us to be a finished product? That God says, hey, I can use you right where you're at. See, this, this, is, this really is the beauty of the gospel. Is that Jesus is not waiting for us to one day arrive at some magical place and be like, well, I've been waiting on you. Jesus says, no, I, I can use you right now in the season that you're in experiencing what's going on. And so, but many times what can happen is that we can get into this idea that we have to fix ourselves before God can do A, B, C, and D. No, we need to just come to the Lord and allow his power, his ability to work in us to produce what he desires. It's much easier. It's actually how we cooperate with the grace of God. And if you're wired as a doer, you want to fix certain things in you. But how many of you have ever been frustrated trying to fix yourself? Hello. I have. Paul talks about this in Romans 7. He's like, look, I know what to do. I just don't do it. He's like, what is wrong with me? And his conclusion is, thank God there is Jesus. You know, and so he's kind of echoing this thought here. And so a little bit of the cultural background here as to what was going on with this church and with this culture, if you will, the society, this way of thinking was there was actually a group called the Gnostics. The Gnostics actually were the ones who really had this, um, this doctrine that Jesus is good. We like Jesus, but he's just not complete. 
And so they wanted to add all of these hoops and hurdles and all these things that you had to do. You had to look right, talk right. You had to do all these things. You had to sacrifice this. You had to eat this. Don't eat that. It was a bunch of do's and don'ts. And somehow they believed that that would actually help them be better or, or move to a different place of spiritual strength. When in reality, what it was doing was contaminating the purity of the gospel that would produce way more than they ever thought anyways. And so really what they talked about here, and so um, like one commentary that I was reading said this, the Gnostics were teaching that Christ was a good place to begin, but there was so much more that could be known beyond him. In other words, like, hey, Jesus is great, but there's something he ain't telling you. Like he's holding something back. Well, again, this is why we need to know scriptures. Why? Because the Bible says that we've been given what? All spiritual blessing. I mean, Romans, God did not withhold anything, but gave us everything. So anytime that we can fall into this trap of somehow that like, you know, even this idea, I've heard people say this, is that, well, Jesus just isn't quite enough. that's interesting because the Bible says multiple times that Jesus is more than enough. So who's right? Either Jesus is or Jesus isn't. And so many times we can start looking to other things outside of what the word of God will support and wonder why things don't work. It's because we've bought into a lie. We've bought into maybe a half truth. But we're not fully understanding. And so what this really is, is that the word Gnostics actually comes from the Greek word, uh, the Gnosis. It's knowledge. It's understanding. But it's really human based. It's head knowledge. It's, you know, we could even um, say human wisdom, intellectual perception. Let me give you another modern version of this. You can put sociology and psychology into this. And look, and I'm not against psychologists. And I'm not against things like counseling. I think that there is a place. Now, this is what I would say. You need to go to a Christian counselor. Why? Because if you don't, guess what they're going to be talking to you about? The ways and the, the, the methods of the world that are contrary to Scripture. And so what happens, though, is that things can get intermixed. And if you've ever, most of you probably haven't, but if you've ever been to a, like a, a third world country, you see a lot of mixed belief. You get a little bit of Hinduism, a little bit of Christian, a little bit of this, a little bit of that. And you got to get this mixed. Well, we have that too. We just don't label it. We just have things that we've bought into that are culturally acceptable and we call it part of Christianity. But yet the Bible doesn't support that. It doesn't speak to that. And so there were all of these things and really what it produced in these people, it actually produced pride because they had this superiority complex. They were similar to the Pharisees in some ways that they thought they had it all figured out. They had all their I's dotted, all their T's crossed, and they had it all figured out. And Jesus even told the Pharisees, he says, look, you guys know the law, but you've missed the spirit. Why? Because the spirit is what brings life, not the doing of the law. And so many times we can approach God that way where we're just trying to check off all the boxes. I did good today. I was nice today. I didn't cuss today. I didn't do this. I didn't go here. And we're like, okay, God should accept me. You've just stepped over into this mental place of saying that God accepts you for what you do. 
God accepts you because of the price that Jesus paid by hanging on the cross and shedding his blood. The Bible says that our righteousness, our best abilities is like a dirty, filthy rag before God. Me at my best is not enough. Why? Because no matter what, I'm not perfect and you're not perfect. Therefore, I have to come to Jesus. And so they were putting in this this whole idea or this system that would appeal to what? To people's natural and, and really their elitist tendencies. I'm somebody special. I mean, this is my gripe, my own personal thing. But we want to tell everybody that everybody is special in our culture. And if we disagree, we what? We cancel them. Like, oh, you can't be heard from anymore. I mean, can you imagine if Jesus was walking the earth today? He'd be like, how many times did he get canceled? Like, I, I'm, the disciples be taking bets on it, you know, 14 times today. But we can't just stand and say, well, this is truth. Why? Because, well, I'll give you another one. Well, that's just not my truth. Show me that in the scriptures. Where is my truth? That idea, that concept. We hear that a lot. Well, that might be true for you. It's just not true for me. Oh, so you're the, you're the definer of truth now. You, you, you're the one who upholds what actual truth is. See, we have these thoughts in our culture. And if we're not careful, we can actually begin to buy into them. Even unknowingly, and they will come in and they actually will subvert our faith and our ability to, to really experience God. Why? Because things have come in and have begun to crowd out what God wants to do in our life. Let me give you a couple other ones, a little phrases, a few that came to mind. Because we have some thoughts that float around even in the church today. Number one, like let me give you this one. The Lord knows my heart. You ever, you ever said... Anybody else ever said that? Oh, the Lord knows what he, like, I'll use me as an example. I've even told people this, like, hey, don't just hear my words, hear my heart. Because my words might be a little harsh, but just hear my heart. Jesus knows my heart, therefore he sent me his word. Why? Because I can't trust my heart. My heart, the Bible says, is deceitfully wicked in all of its ways. It's self-seeking. It's selfish. It's prideful. And guess what? I just described every one of us. It's isn't a personality thing. By our flesh, and if we don't keep our flesh in check, we're selfish. And so we can say things like, well, the Lord knows my heart. Yes, he sent his word. Because why? Our, our heart needs to be transformed. And, and look, and I know some of you are like, but I got a new heart in Jesus. You do. But you still got some areas in your soul that do not line up with the word of God. And so do I. I'm not saying that as an accusatory statement towards you. Let me say another. I still got work to do. I still need to allow the Lord to work in my life. Second Timothy chapter 3 verse 16 and 17 says all scripture is inspired by God and is useful to teach us what is true. So listen, I, I highlighted a few words here. So God's word comes to what? To help us realize what is wrong in our lives. It corrects us. 
when we are wrong. It teaches us to do what is right. So why do we need God's word? It's right there. To realize some things. In other words, hey, our eyes need to be opened up. We need to recognize that there are some things of our life. And so we need to be corrected. We need to be taught. And uh, verse 17 says that God uses it to prepare and to equip his people to do every good work. See, God wants to take his word and to what? Prepare us and equip us for the very thing that he created us for. Well, how do I get ready to do the thing God created me for? I need to get into the word of God. I need to, what, to, to eat and feed upon the word of God. Well, how do you do that? Do it through your eyeballs. To be very direct about it. You don't open your mouth and eat the word of God. You know, it ain't going to work like that. But you can, what? Why? Because I'm not trying to feed this earth suit. I'm not trying to feed my flesh with the word of God. I'm trying to feed my soul. Look, I am saved as a saved as I'll ever get in my spirit realm. But how do I take what's in my spirit and bring it over into my soul, which is my mind, my will, my emotions, my intellect, my humor, all of these aspects of me, I've got to submit to the word of God. Let me give you another phrase that I hear and have heard. Kind of goes along with what I just said. I know the Bible says, but... Now, we may not say that, but we've thought it. Well, Lord, I know that's what you said in the Bible, but... Here comes the... After that but comes the excuse, right? Pastor John last week talked about how we relate to the Lord, which he had no idea what I was preaching today, but it set it up quite well, actually. He said we can relate to him as a friend, a father, or as Lord. And you can relate to him as all three. It's not one or the other. But I think that we have lost some of the fear of the Lord in the church that says, I am his and I am not mine. And the fear of the Lord is not like a, I'm afraid of him. But it is a reverence that one day will come where I will stand before him and I will give an account for my life. And I won't give an account to anybody else. I won't stand before my wife. I won't stand before you. I, won't st- I will stand before Jesus. Why? Because He is the one who hung on the cross and bled for me. He is the one who paid the price of my sin. And I need to be reminded of that. That there is this reverential fear and honor that my life is to what? To bring honor and glory to Jesus because He is the one who secured my eternity. Because without Jesus, I'm in hell. It's the best upgrade ever. So we have to be careful not to allow these things and and these ideas to get in. You know, we hear things even like this. Well, you just got to follow your heart. Right? That's another one. No, you got to follow your peace. They're different. Following your heart is saying, I'm following my soul. Following your peace is following your spirit. Well, which one is like God? Which one is responsive to the Holy Spirit? Your spirit, now your soul can come, but he kind of lags sometimes. He's late to the party. Most of the time. So I've got to follow my my peace. I've got to follow really what the Lord is doing and not just what I feel. And Proverbs 16.25 says this, There is a way that seems right. It seems right. It sounds good. It looks right. It checks all the boxes. 
There's a way that seems right, but in the end it leads to death and destruction. John 10, 10, Jesus said, I've come that you would have life and life to its fullest. And yet the enemy came to steal, kill and destroy. In Joshua 24, I believe it's verse 15 says, I set before you life and death, blessing and cursing. I beg you to choose life. I beg you to choose blessing, but the choice is yours. See, and this is what Paul is talking about here, even to this church. He's laying it out before them and saying, hey guys, y'all are pursuing this head knowledge, this earthly knowledge, but that's not what will actually change you. Let me say it another way that we would, uh, a phrase that we use is behavior modification. That's a popular term, has been. I just need to change a little bit. At At all of our best effort, we will see little change without the help of the Holy Spirit. Let me give you another one. Well, this is just who I am. So you've accepted a part of your life that does not line up with Scripture as if Jesus is too weak to do something about it. This is just who I am. Well, this is just my struggle. That's the problem. It's your struggle. And you need to submit your struggle to Jesus so that He can bring life. See, we have all these little things that we say and we kind of buy into them and don't even pay attention to it. What does the Bible say though? I mean, God's not here to condemn us. He will correct us. Why? Because in that correction... There's life, there, there's, there's ability, there's the goodness and the power of God at work. So we have to be empowered by the Spirit. And sometimes we can get a little too smart and too cute for our own britches. Go look in the book, right? And I would encourage you. Like, well, How do I know if the Lord's leading me? Go find you some scriptures to back it up. Is there peace in your heart? If there's no peace, God's not in that. The Bible tells us that that peace is to rule our heart like an umpire. I used to play baseball. Strike, ball, out, safe. Yes, no. I need to let the Holy Spirit lead me in that way. Peace means go. No peace means no. And sometimes it's just a hold. I don't have peace yet. Don't do it yet. And then there's other times where I've got peace and I'm going, and in my mind, my intellect is going, ain't no way. And the Holy Spirit's going, you better jump. I'm like, Mm-mm, don't want to do that. But there's what? That's the difference. I've got to go with my peace. I have never, ever in all of my life, ever regretted not following my peace. I have multiple, many times regretted not following my peace. And it's important. I mean, you know, like, well, how do I hear from the Lord? Know his word and follow peace. That's going to get you a long ways. It really will. And sometimes you won't have peace about something and you won't know why. You don't have to know why. You have to trust. 
I've walked away from multiple things multiple times going, Lord, this makes no sense. In the natural, everything looks perfect. And the Lord's like, nope, that ain't it. And then there's other times where I'm looking at stuff from the natural going, there ain't no way. And the Lord's like, yep, that's it. I'm like, no way. He's always right. That's what I have found. He's always right. In Galatians chapter 3, Paul's writing to the church of Galatia here. And he says, because this is what happens is that many times we know that we're broken. We know that we're messed up. We know that we need Jesus. That's why we got saved to begin with. And we come to Jesus and we're like, Jesus, you can have it all. Take it all. Right? But something happens over time. And and Paul speaks to this in Galatians. He says, let me ask you this one question. Which I think is funny because he actually asked them multiple questions. But... You know, it's a good preacher trick, right? But he says, did you receive the Holy Spirit by obeying the law or the rituals of Moses? He says, of course not. He says, you received the Spirit because you believed the message that you heard about Christ. He says, how foolish can you be after starting your new lives in the Spirit? Why are you now trying to become perfect by your own human effort? Have you experienced so much for nothing? Surely it was not in vain, was it? He says, you started this thing in the power of the Holy Spirit who saved you, sealed you for Christ. And now you're trying to do it in your own effort. And he's like, guys, who tricked you? Who lied to you? Who has told you that somehow you could be good enough? Now, I don't say that to make us feel bad. I say it to make us recognize who should our confidence be in. It's not in us. If your confidence is in you, you got a, a rough road ahead. If my confidence is in Jesus, I have somebody to look to. Who? Why, why do I look to Jesus? Hebrews 12. He is the author. He's the beginner. He's the finisher of my faith. He doesn't leave me half done. He doesn't leave me. He doesn't abandon me. He's going to see the process through all the way. That's why I need to look to him. Why? He knows where my finish line is. I don't. That's why I need to keep focused upon him. So I, I told you earlier, now I'm going to give you the, the, what, the way Paul was writing. Because he, 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 he talks about this, really the word knowledge here. But he uses this other word. So they knew gnosis. They knew head knowledge, right? Intellect, understanding. But where Paul writes here in chapter 9 and 10... He says, uh, we ask that God would give you complete knowledge of his will. That word complete is something different. It's not head knowledge. It actually means spiritual understanding. Paul prayed it this way in Ephesians. He said, let the eyes of your understanding be enlightened, that you would know the hope of your calling. Jesus said it this way, in seeing you don't see and in hearing you don't hear. What's he talking about? I see what you, who you are, Jesus. I hear your teachings, but he's like, you don't get it. He's saying there has to be a spiritual awakening and a spiritual understanding. That your eyes have to become opened to a new reality. We would call that in the church revelation. Like a light bulb moment. I don't know if you've ever had one of those, but it's like where the Holy Spirit reveals you to you. And all of a sudden you're like, that's why I've been struggling with that. And it's that simple. Holy Spirit, thank you. Look, the Holy Spirit is not weird. You're like, well, how do you know? Because he's the exact image of Christ. 
Now, Jesus did some weird stuff. I'll give you that. But Jesus was not weird because people came to him by the masses. If you want to know what the Holy Spirit's like, go read the Gospels. Jesus said, the same Spirit that's upon me is coming. That's the person of the Holy Spirit. So here he says that he's praying. He says, I want God to give you complete or, or spiritual knowledge and understanding of his will that will give you spiritual wisdom and understanding. See, we need to understand something before we go do something. Many times like, we're trying to do something without the understanding and we wonder why it doesn't work. We got it backwards. We need to get a new spiritual understanding. Our eyes need to be open. Our, our hearts need to be open to a new truth because a new truth will produce something new in us. And when I say new, I don't mean like it's never been. I just mean like we haven't caught it yet. You ever had one of those moments like with a teacher? Like go back to math class and you're like, I, I don't get it. 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 And then all of a sudden you're like, got it. Don't you feel good when you get it? You've been working on something, trying to figure out a problem. Then all of a sudden the light bulb clicks and it's like, oh, that's the solution. That's what he's talking about. Like my eyes need to become open to this new understanding. And so he goes on here. And so the word here is actually epinosis. So it has the same roots, but it's different. And so it actually, the word that he used here, when he talks about this spiritual, uh, it's really an awakening or an encounter with God. So it's not here, it's here. If you're going to experience God, you got to get out of here. Which is hard for some folks like me. Analytical, trying to figure it out. When I connect all the dots, okay, Lord, I'm ready. And, and he's like, there are no dots. And I'm like, wait, 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 wait. That's what Paul's talking about. There's an encounter. There's this experience that happens with God that will actually, and out of that experience with God, the moral transformation will come. Like, let me be super practical. I'm going to use this word because it's universal. Think of a sin that you struggle with. Everybody's is different. Don't worry. God's just going to talk to you about yours. He don't talk to you about your neighbor. So they don't, he's not going to talk to them about yours either. You got it in mind? You got an area of your life that's not where it should be. That is not as honoring to God as it should be. Everybody nod yes if you got one. Nod yes even if you don't have one. Because you got them. <laughs> so do I. How do I overcome those things? I need an encounter with God. I need an encounter with His Word. I need the move of His Spirit in me that will create the moral transformation. And you can fill in the blank of whatever your thing might be and the answer is simple. I need to encounter Jesus in that area of my life. Maybe I've not submitted that area of my life yet or maybe, or, or maybe I kind of keep it around like a pet. No, if I'm going to experience something new, I've got to get something new. It's not here. It's here. It's on the inside. See, Paul prayed that they would have this epinosis which would fill them in such a way that it would instill wisdom and understanding which is singularly spiritual. And in the Greek, exclamation point. 
like all caps bolded. He's saying, I want you to have spiritual understanding with a loud voice, all caps, everything you can do, flashing lights. He's saying, hey, pay attention. This isn't knowledge. This isn't just, let me go read a book and get some more information. No, I need transformation. And transformation can only come when God breathes upon that information. See, we can, we can approach the Bible this way. And we can just take it as information. But when we allow God to begin to speak and to work in our heart, that information becomes what? Revelation that will lead to some transformation. And I don't know why you come to church and I don't know why you engage with God. But my goal is I want to be transformed into the image of Christ because the Bible tells me that's the goal. It's not just to get to heaven. I need to be like Christ now so the people around me can still see Jesus. This is our calling. But it's not from just not, it's spiritual understanding. Paul in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, I'm going to read five verses here. But he says, when I first came to you, dear brothers and sisters, I didn't use lofty words and impressive wisdom to tell you God's secret plan. Now we live in the age of the internet. And so let me just give you... A warning in this. This is part of my job, my responsibility. Just because somebody has pastor, prophet, apostle, evangelist, teacher, does not mean that they are teaching you God's word. A title doesn't mean anything. As a matter of fact, the Bible tells us to be wary of sheep, or I'm sorry, of wolves in sheep's clothing. And sometimes those are in the pulpit. Now meddling, I know. But we live in the age of the internet. And you can listen to anybody and everybody from everywhere at the drop of a hat. And just because they say it does not mean it's true. I would go as far as just because I say it don't mean it's true. You need to go get in your Bible. You better not trust me. You better trust the Lord. Look, I'm going to do my best. And I work hard to try to be as accurate as I can. But I'm a fallible person. And you could, and let me say this, I could say one thing that's slightly off and the devil's going to make sure you catch that one. So people can impress you with their words. And I've seen it and I have experienced it where I'm like, golly, I don't talk like that. I wish I had that kind of eloquence with my language. I just keep it real. That's all I am, you know. I'm not going to impress you with my speech. I'm not going to use some big words because I don't know what they mean either. So I'm not going to try to, like, I went and looked this up yesterday in the, in the dictionary so I can impress you today. Like, I just prefer that I just talk like I talk. Talk like I think so I can understand what the heck I'm saying so that maybe you can understand what I'm attempting to say. Paul says, I didn't use lofty words and impressive words to tell you God's secret plan. For I decided that while I was with you, I would forget everything except for Christ. John 1.1, 1, 1, Jesus is the word made flesh and dwelt among us. So why is the word so important? Because it's, it's revealing Jesus everywhere in scripture, New Testament, Old Testament. 
It's all revealing Jesus. The Bible is the story of Jesus and it's about how he came to redeem mankind from cover to cover. So Paul says, if it ain't in the cover, I'm forgetting about it. He says, the one who was crucified, he says, I came to you in weakness and timid, or, or in weakness, timid and trembling. That's that fear of the Lord. It, but he says, and my message and my preaching were very plain. There we go, Paul. I can, I can do plain. I got that one. He says, rather than using clever or persuasive speeches, if we're not careful, people will persuade us into something that doesn't hold water. Not spiritually speaking. It won't produce anything in our life. So don't be impressed or with somebody's clever speech or their persuasive uh, words. He says, I relied only on the power of the Spirit. And he says, I did this so that you would trust not in human wisdom, but in the power of God. Paul says, look, I kept it plain and I kept it simple. Why? Because I didn't want you to be impressed and I didn't want you to put your trust in what I said. I wanted you to understand that the only person worth being impressed with is Jesus. Why? Because in Jesus is the power of God that transforms us. See, I believe that if we're going to have a, that when we have a profound knowledge and understanding of who Jesus is in Scripture, it actually profoundly affects our daily walk. And so if we're disappointed with our daily, we need to go back and say, Lord, I need you to open my eyes and let me see Jesus in a new way. And I need to get a revelation of who he is and what he's done for me and what he desires to do. Why? Because there's power there to transform. He goes on here back in Colossians chapter 1. In verse 11. He says, I also pray that you will be strengthened with all his glorious power so that you will have all the endurance and patience that you need. How many of you know that we could pray that over ourselves? Lord, I need some endurance and I need some patience. I mean, those words are bad enough by themselves, but then you put them together and it's terrible. Patient endurance. That is very challenging to me. And then he follows it up with this little gem. And may you be filled with joy. (laughs) Really, Paul? Patient endurance. Oh, yeah, by the way, be filled with joy. Nehemiah, though, says that the joy of the Lord is our strength. So if I'm going to endure well and I'm going to have patience, I'm, I better have some joy first. That's why he wrote it, inspired by the Holy Spirit. And so if endurance and patience wasn't bad enough, and then he says, hey, filled with joy. And then he goes, oh, and always be thanking the Lord. Be thanking the Father. So now I have to be, I have to have gratitude in my heart and joy in my heart as I'm enduring patiently. <laughs> Like, that's a sweet piece of cake there, Paul. Thank you very much. Here's the key part that he says here. For he has enabled you. He has. Not you have. He has. He has enabled you to share in the inheritance that belongs to you. 
says his people, that's you. He has enabled you to share. He's already empowered you, equipped you, enabled you. He's given you all the keys that he can to share in the inheritance that belongs to you who live in the light. What? That's that spiritual understanding. That's that spiritual insight. It says, for he has rescued us out of the kingdom of darkness and transferred us into the kingdom of his dear son who purchased our freedom and forgave our sins. Philippians 2.13 says that God gives us the will and the desire to do of his good pleasure. In other words, God will give you the want to and the ability to do something that would honor him. It's not in yourself, it's, it's in him. Well, I've got to what? I've got to go encounter God in a fresh new way. And when I encounter God in a fresh new way, now, remember that word then earlier? See, so just go encounter God, then my, my problems can be faced. See, we think we can hide something. He knows it all anyways. We can hide nothing. We know that, but yet human nature is, I don't want the Lord to know. He already does and he still loves you. He doesn't think any less of you. Now I would encourage you, I'm not going to read it for the sake of time. But this is the ver- verse 15 and 16 is what I, my thought would be. This is where I would have preached today, but that's not what the Lord kind of put in my heart. But it talks about that Christ is the visible image of the invisible God. It's this beautiful picture. It talks about all these things. It says that Christ is supreme. Christ is most important. Why? Because there was the... A thought in the day that, hey, Jesus is good. But, hey, there's a lot of good. Jesus was a prophet, but there's other prophets. Jesus was a, a righteous man, but there's lots of righteous people. Yeah, but there's only one Savior. There's many people that went to the grave for what they believe, but Jesus is the one who got up out of the grave. It's kind of different. There's a little bit of a dividing line between... And he goes through and and so ultimately he says that, hey, is that Jesus is supreme. And I'm going to summarize it this way. Is that Jesus is actually the greatest leveling field of all mankind. Because in Jesus, everybody's level. It doesn't matter your pedigree. doesn't matter your background. doesn't matter your mistakes. Jesus says, hey, I can can level it all. I would encourage you, if you weren't here last week or didn't get a chance to, I would encourage you to go back and listen to Pastor John's message from last week. Verse 18, it talks about, and I'm just going to mention these real quick, and we've got two more scriptures that I just want to share with you as I'm wrapping up this morning. But in verse 18, Pastor John actually talked about this last week, but it says that Jesus is the head of the church. Jesus is the head of the church. And it says that he's first and foremost in everything. Just a thought for you. Kind of a a random thing. I've seen people live without a leg. I've seen people live without an arm. I've seen people live without certain organs in their bodies. But one thing I have never seen is a body that lived without a head. I believe many times that we're trying to live a Christian life apart from the head. 
and we wonder why it doesn't work. Now, I can't explain scientifically. Some of you are way smarter than me, might not understand these things. What it is, when a head gets separated, there, there is no saving of the life. Now, I understand the practical, you bleed out, I get that. But there's something significant. When a head is removed from the body, the, the body can't sustain itself. You can remove fingers, you can remove limbs, you can remove organs, you can remove a lot of things and survive without them. But the thing that we have to have is the head. And if we as individuals and we corporately are going to be the church that God has called us to be, Jesus has to be first. He has to be preeminent. He is supreme. That's what Colossians is really all about is that everything revolves around him. In verse 28 and 29, I'm going to read these out of the Passion Translation. It says, Christ is our message. It says, and we preach to awaken hearts and bring every person into the full understanding of truth. It has become my inspiration and passion and ministry to labor with tireless intensity. With his power flowing through me to present every believer the revelation of being his perfect one in Jesus Christ. Paul says, look, I'm working really hard because I want people to grow into the measure and the understanding of Christ. And that only comes through spiritual understanding. It transforms us. So it's more than just going through the motions. It's more than just, oh, the worship team played my favorite song today. Man, I felt God's presence when I got to that song and we hit that favorite part of that song or that song came on the radio. And look, there's nothing wrong with those things. Man, I love to experience the presence of God and I need it. So do you. But we can actually reduce our Christian life to just the motions. wrote in another place says that you you do all the right things you play the role to a T but you've removed the power that would actually make you godly I don't know about you I want to experience the power of God I don't want to go through the motions I want to experience his goodness I want to experience his grace why because me without his grace ain't very good It's actually horrible. But me with God's grace is powerful. The same is true for you. There's nothing, there's no struggle, there's nothing in your life that cannot be overcome when you connect with the grace of God, the presence of God. When you get into a moment where you encounter Him. Like you need a God stop me in my tracks moment. And you don't need it one time. You need it often. That God ought to interrupt your day and call you into his presence. Because that's where we're transformed. Not in reading 5,000 scriptures. We need to read the word of God. The word without the giver won't produce. I don't want to have it here. I want to have it in here. Where it really challenges me and changes me and, 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 and makes me say, I ought to be better. Not because out of guilt, but because God's calling me and, and pulling me to be more like Him. 
in my character, in my nature, in my thoughts, in my actions. I want to be more like Jesus. But it's not my human effort that produces it. Now I've got to get back with him. So I want to pray over you this morning. Would you guys just stand up this morning? I know that we've got all kinds of circumstance situations. But, you know, one of the things that I have been praying about for quite some time now uh, is is really just about uh, the need of us as believers to encounter the presence of God in very tangible ways. So I don't know what all that looks like. I've got some ideas, I guess, but... We'll see, but at the end of the day, it's not about us creating a place necessarily for you just to experience it. Because it's not about this room. It's not about this property. Our heart determines if we can experience the presence of God. And so I can do that at work, I can do that in the car, I can do that at my house, I can do that in church. I can Anywhere I, I am, anywhere that you are is a place that God could show up. If I'll let him interrupt my day sometimes. And that will produce a power on the inside of me. You may say, well, how do I know? How excited are you about your Christian life? I mean, like genuinely. Like, is there a passion in your heart to say, man, I I want more. Here's the good news. If you want more, there's more. And the Bible says God will not refuse you. He will give you if you ask. And so I'm going to pray and I'm going to ask for you. But my prayer is only as powerful as your faith is to agree with it. And so I want to pray this morning over you that we're going to experience God in some fresh, new, and powerful ways. That God's going to stir up and awaken some things on the inside of us. Some passion, some desire. And if you'll put your faith in this and you'll open up your heart, I believe you're just setting the table for God to come in and to do exactly what I'm going to pray for. So Father God, I just thank you right now. Father, we desire to experience more of who you are. Father, we don't want just dead religion. We don't want just uh, simple steps to A, B, and C to get me to over here. But Father, we want to encounter the living God. Father, we need your presence. Father, we don't need head knowledge or head understanding. Father, I ask you to open up our eyes, our spiritual eyes to see in new depths, a new understanding, a new revelation of who you are. Father, I thank you that your word is coming alive into our spirits and into our souls in a greater way that even the areas of our life where maybe we've allowed some things to come in, some beliefs to come in, we bought into some things that do not line up with your word. Father, I thank you that the the work of the Holy Spirit uproots, uproots those lies and those deceptions. And Father, I thank you that it's replaced with truth that produces life and healing and wholeness and soundness and father i thank you for your peace that reigns over us father that it it guards our heart and our minds and our thoughts and our decisions father i thank you that we would be led by your presence and father that even as you would come to maybe even take those moments and steal away just a moment here or a moment there throughout our days father i thank you that we would stop what we're doing and we would heed to your your call As you're pulling us into your presence. Father, so that we would be equipped and empowered to do everything that you've called us to. Father, you've already given us the ability that you've enabled us. That it's not our works, it's not our ability, it's not just our effort. But Father, I thank you that it's the empowerment of your Holy Spirit on the inside of us. That causes us to live in a place that we never have before. It's a place of your grace. It's not of our effort. 
But it's resting in your grace. It's resting in, in who you are and what you desire to do. So Father, I ask you, for every open, willing heart this morning, I ask you to touch them afresh in a new way. At unexpected times and unexpected places, Father, I thank you that you're just stirring us up upon our most holy faith. Father, we thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, hey, if you're here, I'm not going to drag this out.